netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. This podcast is brought to you by Shotgun Software. Shotgun builds a set of unified production management, review, and asset management tools that help everyone on production work faster and happier. They've just released their first mobile app, Shotgun Review for iPhone, geared for supervisors. The new Shotgun Desktop giving artists fast access to projects and apps, and native integration for the Foundry's Mari. See their new tools in action or try Shotgun for free at shotgunsoftware.com. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Well, IBC is starting in Amsterdam, and that means it must be time to catch up with Philippe Serrero to find out what's been happening with Flame. Philippe is, of course, the lead product designer for Flame uh, for Autodesk, based in Montreal. And generally how it happens, there's a major release in April of Flame, and then what they have is called an extension release in the IBC time frame, and this year is no exception to that. Uh, they have a lot of new features, really hitting hard on workflow. A lot of that is bringing back functionality that was uh, that people were missing that was in the old school flame before they made the move to the anniversary edition. And in many cases, they've actually improved upon that functionality, not only brought it back, but improved it. Uh, but there's some big integration news uh, that's announced at IBC, and that is that Shotgun is being supported within Flame via Python hooks. And so right within Flame, you can do things like publish conform sequences from Flame or even Flame Assist to Shotgun. Uh, there's shot versioning, uh, automated access to medium batch setups and flare, as well as the fact that you can send Flame or flare clips directly to Shotgun's review and approval tools, including the new iPhone app. So that's pretty cool. So we'll be touching on that, uh, those workflow changes, as well as other things as part of the interview. Uh, normally, we have an FX Guide TV app style interview uh, with some screen captures, but Philippe was really busy and didn't have time to help us with that this time. So it's going to happen. We've got the audio interview now, and we're going to be coming out with some uh, video clips in the coming weeks once Philippe gets back to Montreal and has time to do those. So we'll have some insights and sneak preview of the software before it actually ships. But I want to start out the conversation, or I did start out the conversation with Philippe before he left for Amsterdam, asking about some product changes. They've actually made some minor changes in the product line to actually make the software more accessible and uh, provide various packages on different platforms than what they were available on in the past. I think there are two things that uh, uh, I think hopefully will be well-received. Well, first of all, one is that we are um, officially releasing a uh, Mac version of Flare. Uh, I repeat, it's Flare uh, that I said. Um, so that's going to be available as a platform choice for anyone who already has a Flare license. Um, there's also on the, the flip side of it is that we're also going to release a Linux version of Flame Assist uh, for people who would rather uh, stay on the Linux side of things uh, and, and run the software on, on Z800s or Z820s or you know whatever hardware they would want to repurpose for that matter. We, uh, we will uh, have an official version of Flame Assist available on Linux. The last thing also that is going to happen uh, uh, when we release the extension is that for um, uh, for Flame Premium customers, they'll also be able to run Luster on a separate system. Uh, up to now, actually, you know, both Luster and Flame licenses were tied to the same hardware, and that will no longer be the cases of extension uh, as of the release of the extension. So it's uh, it's quite a lot, uh, quite of a lot going on actually on the front of products. What are you seeing for performance? I guess on uh, Flare on Mac. I mean, I guess it'd be similar to the you know Flame Assist on Mac. I guess. Um, yeah, totally. It's uh, it's it's actually you know it's actually very good. Um, the uh, the 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 Mac 
platform uh, has a a number of limitations uh, with regards to the way it can allocate textures. Uh, this is something that is totally independent um, from 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 our own code. It, it's just it just so happens to be a limitation of, of the Mac platform. Um, but the the impact on the user should uh, should hardly be visible. There are just a few scenarios where you could run out of texture slots um, if if you were to use multiple types of um, uh, maps, I guess, uh, in uh, in the application, but those scenarios are pretty rare. So overall, the performance is very good, and and it should be quite transparent. And obviously, you have the benefits of also being on a Mac and running other applications, uh, which is which is very cool. So um, so I mean, you know, whoever is already familiar with the performance that you can get on Flame Assist, you you can expect something very similar with Flare on the Mac. Well, one question I've had regarding that is there's been a lot of talk, I've read a lot of stuff recently about the OpenGL performance on Mac being less than other platforms or lower than other platforms. Does that have an impact on your products? Or are you doing things differently through the use of your shading language and things that you're writing uh, for processing? Uh, well, it's uh, that uh, actually the the only answer I can give is that it depends. Um, but yes, overall there are things where we uh, rely on 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 traditional OpenGL where actually it is going to impact us. Um, but uh, but overall, I think there are trade offs on the Mac platform that kind of compensate for that. Um, uh, and and overall, I think that the you know the experience is 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 still extremely smooth on the Mac platform. You know, I've been running it on an iMac and and actually really really enjoying. The uh, um, you know just the feeling of uh, of being able to uh, uh, you know um, switch between various applications, bring in stuff into the Flare environment, and and have that run actually very smoothly. So um, you know I think depending on what your use case is for uh, for Flare, it's a, it's a very uh, uh, it's a very nice alternative to have as a platform choice. And how about support of Yosemite that's coming out this fall? Well, uh, you know, as as usual, the only thing that I can say is that we will uh, support it at some point, but that's as much as I can say right now. So um, it's uh, uh, sometimes we, uh, you know, uh, I cannot guarantee that we will be supporting it on day one, but for sure it is something that we will be supporting. Okay, well, those are some products, but something's of really interest to us, um, especially with if you take a look at our uh, sister site FXPHD where we do training. I think we've done more flame and smoke training than almost anyone else out there over the years uh, that we started. Uh, yes. You're actually coming out with uh, some new learning editions for the products, which I think is going to be really great for educating as well as expanding the number of artists learning and knowing the tools. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, uh, we've, we've heard it a lot. Uh, and we, I, you know, I can tell you that personally, I was extremely sensitive to the argument of, uh, you know, making sure that people are properly trained on our products. And it starts also with freelancers who are making a living uh, today with the products and who have voiced concerns about, you know, being able to keep up with the, the changes. And there have been numerous ones recently in the application. And so I'm very happy to announce that uh, we will have, uh, uh, you know, uh, training editions that will be made available and uh, so i can't write, g- give a, a precise eta right now we're, we're we will be releasing this you know shortly after we release the extension uh and it's going to be for almost all the products uh so there's going to be training editions for flare on the mac uh, for flame assist on the mac uh, there's even going to be a training edition for flame but it's going to be on linux okay um uh likewise you know you'll have essentially all the options that you want so uh so training on the, the on the mac 
Mac side, it's only going to be uh, Flame Assist and, and Flare, but you have also training editions for all the Linux products that will be made available. Uh, so the choice of platform is, is, is going to be um, available uh, there too. Um, of course, they're training editions, so there will be some limitations. Uh, there'll be watermarked versions of, uh, of the product, and some things will be uh, locked. You won't be able to do some exports. And, uh, and, and so there are a couple of limitations that come with training, but they're totally free. There is no, there's no licensing fee involved at all, and uh, those training editions will be systematically updated every time we release, um, we release um, a new version. So I think that's... Uh, that's hopefully this is something that is addressing the concerns that a lot of our users had, and uh, and hopefully this will be well received. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, we had a great course uh, that Sam Edwards taught for us at PhD this term, and you know, with the October term coming up, where we announce our new courses, you might uh, take a guess that we might have something new also available at FXVHD from Flame standpoint. And this fits right in with that, so uh, I think uh, it, I, I think it's a good move. Really yeah, good. that would be really great if uh, if you did, guys. So it's great. There's good stuff also happening in extension too. So yeah, well let's 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 dive into that now because that's the main thing. That's what you're going to be showing uh, at IBC uh, uh, for the first time. Uh, let's just start with some nuts and bolts, the plumbing, I guess you could say, and some changes in you know media I/O and support for new codecs, uh, especially on the Linux platform. Yeah, I think the, the uh, probably uh, I, arguably the biggest news I think for the Linux customers is going to be uh, finally, uh, and I can tell you like it's a sigh of relief for everybody that we can uh, officially now support ProRes export uh, on the Linux platform. So it's been already a couple of years since we introduced uh, the uh, uh, the import of ProRes material on Linux, but we uh, unfortunately we uh, we could not uh, provide. Uh, uh, ProRes export and and so that's uh, finally going to be the case. So so there's going to be parity uh, with a Mac platform in that regards, and uh, and also the ProRes support will be extended to uh, to the XQ the, the XQ codecs that uh, that have just recently um, uh, that recently came out. So uh, and that's 444 um, XQ and also 444 ProRes. So so that's uh, so that's one thing that's really important. Also, as uh, people um, have been requesting for a long time that we would support uh, the 444 DNX HD flavors, and and that's and that's the case with Alpha. Uh, so that's something also that's been that's been requested a number of times, uh, and and so that's that's in the product. Uh, uh, Various new uh, flavors of, uh, of of DNX HD that make their way, um, you know. Uh, so our, the regular, I guess, update of codecs uh, that uh, that uh, happen in in the extension. Uh, uh, but again, I think probably and arguably the biggest news is the fact that we finally support export of ProRes. We're very happy about that, and it also means also that it becomes available as an intermediate uh, format on the Linux platform if you choose to. And along with that, there are actually some changes, I believe, in the Media Hub, and I'm going to forget them because I don't have a list in front of it. But I know one of them was you can export between in and out marks really easily now, but there are some other changes as well, not to... Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, this is a uh, so the extension actually is packed with with things that have been requested for, you know, like... Um, um, uh, Quite a bit by users, and so that's the the one that you you mentioned is is certainly was high on the list. So being able to export directly uh, between in and outs, but also being able to uh, force the export to only consider the top track of uh, of the timeline is something that was very heavily requested, um, and and so that's in the extension too. Another feature that was uh, that people were really really missing was the ability to actually fix the duration when they were importing <laughs> right. stills. That's it. Uh, 
um, and so that's that's also something that's uh, uh, that is now available uh, in in the import options of the media hub. Uh, so I think we uh, we probably nailed quite a few of those things that were uh, uh, you know uh, that were missed by users. Um, so yeah. Um, one thing, and, and not to take the, the conversation so early into a down direction, but there have been some real problems, and we've talked about it before in the podcast, I think, with media import and export and reliability of that. I mean, I think one of the things I really appreciated about Flame back in the day was its reliable ability to get footage in and out of the system consistently. And I have to say, it feels like that's not the case now. I think there are other desktop apps, frankly, that are better at that and more reliable. Um, but I do know that you've been, in, in fairness, been taking that really seriously and looking at that. Can you kind of give us an update on where you're at with that? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, hoping, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like a never ending story, seriously. Uh, but, uh, but yes, we've been actively hunting down the problems that, uh, we have with regards to, uh, uh to reliability of export. We, we actually rolled out, um, a, um, uh, SBs recently that, uh, actually are, are already like the result of, um, of many bug fixes that we managed to identify uh, to uh, to um, uh, to considerably, I think, improve the reliability of of of, uh, of the exporting mechanism. Um, so it's it's something that uh, you know I I totally understand how important it is to customers. We uh, you will get no objection whatsoever from us uh, about how critical it is, and I'm telling you, we are. I literally every time there is an issue that comes up. And, it, and we actually managed to reproduce it. Uh, to, to reproduce it, it's like everything stops until we actually fix it. So uh, we are taking this extremely seriously, and and I think we feel very confident at this point that extension two is going to be much much better than um, uh, than anything we've had before. Um, uh, so uh, and and I also want to point out that we've we've also. Uh, I mean, for various reasons, but but stability is definitely one of them. We've also decided to kind of push the uh, the release of the extension to the, the release date of the extension two towards uh, more the end of October in order to make sure that we identify as many um, bugs and issues uh, for collaborative workflows, for exports, for anything that uh, touches on data loss. Those are things that uh, are. Uh, are dealt with. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm serious. It's just not, it's not really, I'm, forgive my language. It's just not bullshit when I say that it's, it's considered really like uh, the utmost priority at this point. How, how do you guys go through this and test it and figure it out? What are you doing to try and reproduce? It's, it's, it's very, it's extremely challenging. Of course, it, it's impossible for us as we develop the software to actually nail on every possible workflow that our customers then, uh, come up in, in the context of their own facilities. But so in, in identifying those, uh, uh, those problems, I have to tell you that the relationship with support is, is, uh, really, uh, extremely important. So support is going to play a very important role in actually connecting to the customers and 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 it's their role actually to try and hunt down and figure out what could be possible rep steps and once we have that this is kind of gold for us because we can act upon it so that's that's um and you know and this is this is why i think you know it's it's not a rhetorical um uh, type of statement to say that, you know, when you are, um, if you do encounter, uh, you know, issues, it's very important to report them back to support. They are going to be an essential part 
of the uh, of the system, uh, and and their job is really to actually track down what could possibly be the rep steps, identify what the problem is, report this back to us, and at that point we uh, we we kind of take that information and hunt it down into the code and fix it. Okay, so they'll get this release, get the service pack release that came out recently, and hopefully there'll be more stability for people. Right, bottom line. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely what uh, what we're uh, what we're hoping. The service pack is actually uh, uh, full of bug fixes, and and some of them, I mean, specifically pertain to uh, to all the background uh, the, the background process and their stability and the reliability. Um, there are also some measures that we have uh, with, that we have taken in the context of the extension to make sure that the uh, services never actually uh, just fail. Uh, without um, uh, uh, without restarting if if there is a failure so uh, so there's some you know there's some measures that were taken also to um, uh, plug in automatic restart of some services again to make sure that uh, that the export will deliver what is expected in um, in, in the right time frame so okay well let's move on and, and talk about some of the changes uh, related to media.io and one of those processes it's quite normal when you're using flame and that's conform uh, you've actually yeah. uh, added some really nice stuff taking into account a lot of feedback from some of the users and the I'll call it the new conform tool it's not so new anymore I guess but uh, <laughs> has gone through another uh, set of fairly significant changes and we're making it easier to conform spots yeah, I think we uh, we uh, we had some uh, really um, helpful conversations with uh, with some customers who have been uh, you know very heavily reliant on on EDL types of workflows and trying to figure out what it is that they would uh, be missing from let's say the legacy workflows that uh, that use the EDL module and I'll make no you know mystery that we definitely have a goal of you know uh, trying to make sure that you can. Uh, uh, that you can do everything that you have to do uh, with regards to conform without ever having to enter the EDL uh, module, and I think we're we're pretty close to achieving that goal. So we've talked to to these customers, and and uh, and as a result of these conversations, also we uh, uh, we figured that there were some adjustments that needed to be made, also in terms of columns and reflecting information that is very specific to EDLs, such as event numbers and things. Uh, so event numbers now actually are listed whenever you import an EDL uh, in, in the conform tab so you can actually speak the same language as the EDL that you uh, that you loaded and sometimes that's critical to people who have to have this permanent communication with the editorial department there's uh, there's also a lot of stuff that has happened in terms of uh, you know changes that you can make directly in the conform list where uh, you know you can you can change um, uh, you can change time codes, uh, but you can also change names. You can also do bulk renaming. So things that uh, actually are very important to, uh, I guess, what I would refer to as timeline preparation um, uh, that uh, that are now available in in, in this extension. So uh, you know, it's it's small things also sometimes, such as the separation of source. And source in, source out, uh, uh, more information, more columns, uh, record in and record out. Also, all of these fields can be modified. Right. Path, uh, path names is actually a good one, I think, where you can bulk yeah. change path names that change from platform to platform. 
Yes, absolutely. So you can look at it as a means to reconnect also. Uh, I mean, it's it's not really the full project-wide reconnection to a different, uh, uh, let's say, to a different path. But at least on a sequence basis, you are able to, uh, through the bulk modifications of actually pointing at, um, you know, a different drive, for example, to locate the media that is uh, that is used in, in a timeline. So it's, it's not a project-wide reconnection, but it's definitely something that's a step in, in, in the right direction, uh, 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 but is limited right now to, uh, to, uh, to a timeline, a sequence. So, uh, so I think lots of, 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 of cool new features uh, uh, for, for Conform and something I, I think that um, uh, puts EDL, AF, and XML Conform workflows pretty much on par at this point. Yeah, it's very, really, those changes do make it a lot easier. And I mean, I think moving forward, it'd be great to see some better automatic relinking and refining sources and file system searches. But um, this is certainly a step in the right direction. We uh, we agree. Uh, we agree. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't mean, you know, by these statements, I think that, uh, yes, I, we are very much aware that there's still a lot that uh, that we can do and that we will do, actually, to uh, uh, to improve the conform process. And so there's we have a roadmap as far as conform is concerned, and this is by no means the end of it. Well, uh, again, related to this, you were in L.A. Oh, probably a couple months ago now for the first ever Flame Music Group that we had. So for, thanks for attending that. Appreciate it. But let's, it let's, just, let's just say that um, you showed some really cool features with some tips and tricks, but you didn't really get asked about those specific things. Um, what I found was interesting is you kind of got hammered, so maybe not quite the right word. It was a fairly polite audience, but you got asked a lot about workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, it was question after question related to that. And that could be in part due to, you know, the audience here in, in Los Angeles. But, mm-hmm. um, at that point I knew of the shotgun acquisition and yeah. <laughs> it was something that, uh, you obviously couldn't talk about at the time, but, no. uh, great news is that you're actually having this quickly, uh, some first implementation of shotgun support within the flame family. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so, so, yeah. I think that uh, you know the concerns that were uh, expressed during the Yale user group were were very legitimate, and they were heard. Uh, they were heard loud and clear. And as you point out, you know, it's I kind of had to bite my tongue because uh, I knew something was uh, was on its way, but could not speak um, speak about those matters publicly uh, uh, just yet. But yes, we will be rolling in uh, to these this extension. Uh, and one of the reasons also why we're pushing the date is to actually achieve like a, a, a first, um, I guess, you know, for the, for the lack of a better name, shotgun integration into, uh, in, into Flame uh, within the extension 2 uh, that's coming out now. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and so I think it, it, it already, uh, is, uh, addressing at least, um, a number of workflow use cases that we, uh, uh, you know, we, we see happen in facilities that, uh, are using, I would say analogous workflows to film pipelines for commercials. I say analogous because they are, uh, they're also quite different, especially as far as the turnaround time is concerned. Uh, by an order of magnitude, they're quite different from what you would have, let's say, in a film pipeline. But there is kind of like a pipelineification of the commercials process in a number of facilities. And so as a, as a result of that, yes, there's a, a number of things that we have been um, you know, kind of validating on the side with some customers, and um, uh, and and one of this is is one of it is actually uh, you know some uh, uh, 
interesting changes to the published workflow that kind of go hand in hand also with uh, with some of the changes that we uh, we uh, we brought into the conform uh, tab and timeline preparation uh, and and on top of that we are also uh, putting a lot there's a big effort that's done to actually put a put on python hooks so that this process can actually be uh, to some extent uh, controlled uh, uh, or at least federated by um, you know a production tracking system such as shotgun um, uh, so, so yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's something that is happening and will be also demonstrated, uh, at IBC, uh, in, uh, in just a few days and hours, actually, by the time this, uh, this is released, uh, publicly, this interview is released publicly. Yeah. And those Python hooks actually allow that integration because up to now, um, you did do some things in recent, the dot clip file, um, which was actually, you know, a very, very minor, um, uh, example of, uh, potential integration improvements, but that's the Python hooks that are really going to pay the dividends, I think, with, with this. Yes, I think, I think the, the, the point is that, uh, uh, you know, it will, it will allow, if, if you do have a, as I said, like a production tracking system such as Shotgun, it will allow it to actually decide in, you know, at key moments in the workflow where things should be published. Uh, you know, uh, on the Flare side, it, it even should allow you to, from Shotgun, to launch Flare and, and have the project automatically be configured and and look at the right footage and the right shot based on what it is that has been assigned to you uh, in the shotgun database. Um, and uh, and so and again, you know, connecting the publishing workflow uh, directly into the shotgun database is is something that is going to be part of the of this extensions uh, release. Wow. So obviously, the some of the shot uh, some of the review and approval stuff too, as well. That uh, shotguns come out recently with their iPhone review app and with clients, obviously, could be really important in the commercials world or general flame uh, customer world. I guess you could say. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, obviously, this is something that is uh, that is clearly, uh, 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 you know, a, a kind of a agnostic to any sp- specific application. Like the whole shot, uh, the whole um, reviewing and approval um, mechanism is is something that is interesting, regardless of which application uh, you are using. But yes, absolutely, uh, this is something that uh, uh, the fact that we would publish to a shotgun database, um, I mean, all of a sudden opens uh, these capabilities. And the Python hooks will those be publicly accessible and available documentation wise, so that people can roll their own or say a third party thing. I know it's not part of Autodesk, but you know, F-Track is another um, management production management software out there. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, uh, uh, yes, the intention is for us to uh, uh, at least do a, a, as good a job as we as we can, and, and hopefully a better one than what we did with, uh, well, I guess, the dot clip documentation. Because one other thing that clearly came out of the discussion at the LA User Group is most people weren't even aware of what was there and had been there for the past three right. years. So, um, so we understand that this is obviously like a, a big issue, and and yes, so the. The, um, the Python hooks will be documented and uh, we there will be no attempt as far as we're concerned to kind of lock it specifically to to, uh, to to shotgun it's our intention to make the workflow as slick as possible with shotgun uh, but I think that's a, that's a good goal to have uh, but uh, uh, by no means will we try to limit it to shotgun so one thing actually about shotgun is it obviously has a really big installed base in the feature film pipelines and it's you know become such a core tool. And that part of our audience, but how do you see 
that kind of pipeline fitting in with commercials pipeline? Because I see the film pipeline is very deep with lots of versions and commercial pipeline much flatter with lots of different overall versions, like different languages, uh, different product versions, things like that. Did that impact the development process for the shotgun integration? Well, it certainly impacted the way that we uh, we uh, thought about the overall workflow. Um, I think it's, uh, I mean, you, you said it. I think there are a lot of people who are tempted to think that, um, you know, you can essentially take uh, a film pipeline and just transpose it to a commercials pipeline. I don't think really at the end of the day, it's such a good idea. I think that in a commercials pipeline, you have to be a lot more nimble about how um, you deal with a whole bunch of things that you don't have to think about in the context of film. I mean, such as multiple cuts and you said it like multiple languages, all of that stuff. You, you, uh, you know, the, you may not, be dealing with the same complexity of effects, maybe, um, but uh, it's 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 certainly compensated by the let's say the the quantity of deliverables that you have to manage um, simultaneously. And so um, and so, yes, we we uh, we uh, we don't think that it's a very good idea to kind of adopt the attitude where everything kind of goes through the um, let's say production tracking. Uh, system before it gets fanned out, uh, which would be a very film-like way of thinking. But instead, I think that uh, you know it's it, it is a lot faster to think of, of bringing it a decision list in, inside of Flame, do the timeline prep in this environment, be able to react extremely quickly, and then publish back into a shotgun database. We believe that in in working this way, you can actually be much more in tune with the um, let's say the very tight delivery schedules that. Uh, a lot of our customers are confronted to. And so, I mean, we've heard like amazing stories and, and I mean, I think nightmare stories where sometimes the delivery times can be as short as 36 hours. I don't know what you can do in that, uh, in that time frame, but I mean, I've heard it from the field. If you actually. don't sleep quite a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, it, it, but it is true. And, and you don't want to force a workflow into a situation where it's not going to work because the key to using a tool like shotgun or F-Track is that the artists in the facility, they actually need to use it to make their life better. If they don't use it, there's no point in using it because your shots aren't controlled within that system. So um, it, it really makes sense to not force a workflow on an entire spectrum of your customers that aren't used to working that way. No, no, certainly it's, it has not been our approach. And, and I can tell you that we've had a number of very interesting conversations actually also with existing shotgun customers. Also, some of them also, you know, kind of wondering how, how you do, I mean, can you actually transpose a film, a film uh, pipeline type of workflow to commercials when they have both and, uh, and others really coming from the opposite side. It's uh, so it's, it's, it's very, it's, you know, it's very interesting. It makes up for, for very interesting conversations, uh, actually. And uh, and we're definitely of the mind that, uh, you know, there are some things that will remain very specific to uh, to the commercials pipeline um, uh, that, uh, you know, therefore you, you know, w- will make it certainly analogous in some areas to a film pipeline, but definitely not identical. So shotgun integration is great, but I think without the improvements that you made in the extension release, it would kind of all be for naught because you really, without better publishing and better versioning tools within Flame, uh, it wouldn't be as useful. So why don't we start and talk about some of the published improvements uh, within Flame, and, and they are quite significant in this release. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, and, uh, and of course, if you, if you start, you know, working with publishing workflows, it is, it's definitely something that, you know, I think fits more into, uh, again, I said like a, a, 
what I would call a pipeline uh, um, environment. So it's uh, it definitely involves you know uh, you know publishing to job trees and, and things like that. And so uh, there's a, there's a number of things that we've uh, we've implemented, and uh, one of them is is actually that um, you are able uh, while you prepare your timeline before publishing to associate a number of segments in the timeline, uh, rename them, but assign them also to a common shut number. And typically, the use case would be that you have X number of sources that uh, you know need to be used in a specific composition. You can kind of assign the same shot name and shot number to them and uh, and as and during the publish process first of all the publish process is now capable of publishing dot clip information and uh, uh, and and the um, and the shots, uh, the shots uh, that uh, you would uh, you would publish. Uh, so any segment that would actually share the same shot number, um, you can actually choose to uh, uh, to keep that as a virtual container of the composition that needs to be made and will be made elsewhere, either on a flare or any other um, other application that would do compositing. And the, the very important thing also is that uh, Shotgun will also be capable of, of writing dot .clip information for applications that don't necessarily support that format, uh, uh, allowing a, a pretty cool round-tripping kind of workflow uh, where versions can, can increment. And on that topic, when you publish a timeline and you decide also to do the, the actual shot publishing, so the containers that, that the virtual containers that uh, have all the sources already uh, inside of them with kind of like a mini batch associated to them with a write file node. Um, uh, uh, there's a dot clip associated to them, uh, which can be versioned. And in extension two, the actual version number uh, that is uh, that is um, kind of tracked on the dot clip is surfaced directly at uh, the minibar level. So you no longer have to dive into the import history of a segment to access the version number uh, that may be read of a dot clip. It's something that you can directly from the timeline update and and switch all of your different shots to the latest versions uh, that may have been that may have been published into Shotgun or um, or or even without Shotgun actually for that matter into your job tree um, and uh, and kind of have them updated uh, automatically in the Flame timeline. Yeah, just I mean, and to be, let's be really clear about this. I mean, the idea is that right within the Flame timeline, I know you just said it, but you can easily switch between versions of stuff that's being done elsewhere and see those dynamically update right within your timeline without much fuss at all. I mean, it's right there with all the individual controls that are right there above the timeline that you'd expect. Yes. So while this is, while, you know, since we're dealing with a publishing workflow, which means that, you know, essentially we don't really manage that media that we publish. We kind of, you know, I guess to use a terminology that's familiar to people, we kind of soft import it back. Um, But it's not media that we actually manage. You can still cache, um, you know, anything that's, uh, because it's the timeline, everything is centralized in the timeline, the timeline can still cache anything that uh, you would see fit to ensure that you still uh, are capable of, 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 of ensuring, you know, real-time playback uh, from the Flame timeline. So it's, it's kind of like an interesting hybrid workflow where despite the fact that media is not managed by the application and stored somewhere else in a job tree, you can still cache the result and the versions of interest um, in in the context of your timeline to make sure that they're ready for client review and and uh, you know uh, and real time playback at any point in time. And of course, there's nothing that says that you couldn't have the kind of performance in that storage in in that external storage that 
would allow that playback anyway. You know, I mean, you can certainly hook up high quality, high speed storage and access it in a similar way than you could do to a cache meter or the old school frame store, I guess you'd say. Yeah, totally. I think that's, you know, that's very dependent, I think, on the on the customer setup. Uh, you know, usually when there are large pipelines involved, it's very rare that every single workstation involved is actually a client of a high, you know, of a super fast uh, SAN. Um, so so I think it's it still is, you know, it's it still is a good alternative, like on the flame to be able to just to cache locally, uh, whatever version uh, you need to play back and 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 have that stored at the timeline level directly inside of flame, even though we are not managing the media per se. So, I mean, how comfortable are you in feeling that this kind of thing that you've just introduced and will grow is going to help uh, kind of counteract the fact that a lot of people have actually been using Hero to kind of prep shots instead of using Flame at the Hub? They're kind of using Hero as a hub and farming off shots and then bringing them back in Flame. Well, uh, I think it certainly is going to help. Um, uh, it, the, 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 the workflow is, in essence, very, very similar to what people may experience uh, in the context of Hero. Uh, I guess with a big difference, which is, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not a hero that we're talking about. It's, it's, it's flame, um, you know, which offers obviously all the finishing capabilities that you wouldn't necessarily have on, on hero. So yes, I think it's, it's certainly. Okay. It's, Nuke, Nuke, Nuke studio then. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, no, for sure. It's, but it's the same thing. Uh, it's, it, it is the same thing. Uh, um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we, we feel that this is something that is definitely going to, uh, um, uh, help, uh, maintain flame actually in, in, as a finishing, as a finishing tool that, uh, that again can still shine also by its creative capabilities while still being very good at, uh, something that is critical to the process, which is conforming and managing the changes of versions. Yeah. I've kind of felt over the years, you know, when flame came out, it was kind of up against Quantel and talked a lot about being an open system. And I think that got closed up over the years. And I think it's critical what you've done here to open it back up because the reality is, is people are using a lot of different apps or maybe using many different seats to get their work done, even if it's flares and flames or flame and nuke, whatever. Um, it's just a, a fact in today's workflow that you need to be a good local net citizen, I guess. Yeah, I think that's I think that's you know that's really understood and uh, you know internally and and maybe if people have the perception that you know we we kind of don't get it, uh, I think that's 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 not really true. Actually, we uh, it's uh, it's it is also for us challenging to uh, kind of move up you know a twenty year old application. It doesn't move as fast, I guess, as something that is brand new. Um, but yes, we we totally get that. And and actually to that point, I also want to mention that in that in the same extension, we will also uh, be uh, you know officially introducing AAF export. Uh, uh, um, so which is kind of like a, a you know different type of use case altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also coming. Uh, it, it's it's the same mindset, uh, you know, where you know Flame may for you know x number of reasons no longer be like the very last system or may have to actually collaborate with other systems that can be timeline centric as well and so af export also plays in that uh, um, in that arena is is a, is a helpful uh, feature also in that respect and so um, i mean both of these uh, both of these types of workflows will be supported in 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 this extension so so i think yes we are we're, we're certainly you know making an uh, making a big effort uh, uh, to uh, uh, to um, facilitate collaboration with with 
other applications, uh, whatever they, they may be. Well, I think it's a big move because, you know, again, any time that uh, Flame becomes an island or any app becomes an island, I think it becomes problematic for the health of that product <laughs> moving forward. Uh, and I think you're, you're making some really good, sensible steps. It's great to see the leap. I think it's, a, it's frankly a leap between where we were a year ago and today. Yeah, and, but we're, and again, as I said, we're definitely not finished on that path. <laughs> well, um, let's get back to a little bit more of kind of working within the app. Um, again, this is kind of, I guess, similar from a workflow standpoint. But one of the things that uh, I think people are, were kind of upset about with the change in the anniversary edition were the loss of some functionality of the desktop. And I think especially Smoke mm. users were uh, missing <laughs> uh, some features that they really like. But you've attempted to address that with this new feature called Real Groups, R-E-E-L uh, Groups. Uh, can you talk about those? Yeah, sure. Actually, uh, the um, the Smoke Advanced component is 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 one of our motivations to actually introduce that, but it's not the only one. I mean, there is a roadmap as far as we're concerned, as far as where the desktop workflow should go. And, um, and you know, we're, we're, we're not, uh, we haven't fully finished what it is that we have in mind uh, with a desktop, but the groups of reels is definitely something that uh, I think addresses at least one concern from the Smoke Advanced community, uh, which is, you know, provide the ability as you had uh, before with, you know, various source areas or uh, uh, in, in within the uh, the edit desk of Smoke Advanced to actually have also um, uh, an extra level of hierarchy. And this is actually what groups of reels um, also uh, deliver in the context of this extension. However, it is much more than that. Uh, it's not only like a substructure. You can, you can actually only use it like that. But the way that we have implemented it is also something that we see as a means to very quickly toggle between various contexts um, within your real structure. Uh, and, um, and so the ability to very quickly, you know, uh, alternate between a group of real that will have the sources of one specific shot or another shot while still keeping an eye, for example, on a real that would have all your master sequences um, and so groups of reels are actually a very versatile type of structure, uh, which completely take into consideration that this material can be represented in the form of reels. Um, so, uh, um, as I said, you can, you can picture workflows where you can actually, you know, have a group of real, which centralizes all of your, um, various masters that you're working on, whether it's the different cuts or, you know, the different, um, languages that you have to, uh, cater to, um, you know, it doesn't matter. You can have them all uh, grouped inside of a, a, a group of real and what you can do in, in, in this release. And it also addresses, I think, another concern, um, is you can also pin, um, you know, a, a reel of a specific group of reel um, at the bottom of, of your reel so that no matter what you do, it always stays there, um, uh, even while you're kind of quickly toggling uh, between other groups of reels. And again, one of the best use cases to imagine is is having your master sequences in one reel and uh, all your various shots and cycling through your various shots where you have, let's say, a fixed um, layout of reels, which a lot of customers actually have. And, and by having those two functionalities, like the pinned, the pinned reels and, uh, being very easily able to quickly toggle between contexts, various contexts of reels, you, you can actually achieve, um, a very, um, uh, stable configuration of your, uh, of your desktop reels. 
Um, so that's also something that people were kind of, um, you know, critical about the fact that the, you know, as as we uh, as we hid reels and stuff like that, it's all great, but uh, it was disconcerting for some to see things kind of switch uh, so much as as they were. Um, you know, toggling things on and off in, in, in the desktop. Yeah, I think in the old software, what I used to do is you'd have a spot where, uh, just take a spot, for example, where you had a master, have a desktop with your master stuff, and then you'd have a bunch of different desktops where each was one shot, shot one, two, three, four, five, six, right? And through those, keep your elements. Um, I'd work through those shots, save the desktop, load up the master, swap it in, save the master. But with, with this, what you can do is really quickly, and again, this is one, these aren't a bunch of different desktops. Real groups are not a bunch of different desktops there exist within one desktop if i'm they are yeah, absolutely right? so, that's very true so, so you know you set up a set of real groups for each individual shot so you have a real group for shot one real group for shot two and in those then you keep your say background plates your reference and your green screen real simple example but each of those are set up but what philippe's talking about with the pin is then in addition to that you can do what's pin a reel and that reel doesn't have to be within one of those real groups it can be its own independent reel but that reel will never change as you switch if you have a reel pinned as you switch between real group and real group that pin reel would never change so what that means is you can have like you said one reel with your master setup that can be there and always accessible but then just switch your various sources on top and i think organizationally it works a lot better than certainly it did in the anniversary edition and frankly better than it did pre-anniversary edition as well well i you know at least that uh, that's that's really uh, that's really our goal and as i said like we have a you know we do have um a, f a fairly ambitious roadmap as far as the desktop is concerned we consider that to be uh you know core uh to to what flame is and um and and you know and you've heard me speak uh, a number of times about triangular relationships between clips timelines and and flow graphs and this is something that we are dead serious about and we believe holds a lot of power um, and you can see this as a step in, um, in, in, in that direction. It's not the last one, uh, but, uh, but, uh, the future steps I think will, uh, will complement what you see, uh, today in the application very, very nicely in a, in a very logical way. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Holy Trinity or at least the Holy Trinity, according to Philippe, um, <laughs> because, uh, there've been some changes in BFX workflow related to that, that makes, uh, I think I know it's not clunky. That sounds bad. I mean, it's too critical. But that makes access of timeline, seeing things in context, much easier with this new release. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I think that when we introduced anniversary release, I think you know, there's a there's a category of, of 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 users who who were very resentful about the fact that they had lost the ability to kind of drill down into sub levels of BFXs. And and this is this this had come from the fact that you know we uh, we made a very conscious decision of of actually promoting the timeline at the very first level of the application and no longer have it tied to a specific module, which really from from just a, a modern application perspective did not make that much sense and did not make that much sense also given where we want to take Flame uh, in 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 the future and so in the extension too actually what uh, what uh, we've done is is actually 
you know, to, to some extent brought back what you would call a recursive BFX workflow, except it is, um, it is totally uh, catered to the, new, uh, to the new workflow and should provide for an extremely consistent type of experience, uh, no matter whether you're dealing with batch in the timeline at the very first level of the application or inside of, you know, X number of levels of BFX, the hotkeys are going to be identical. If you press spacebar F3 within, you know, uh, third level of BFX, you'll still be accessing the timeline. You'll still be able to access the media panel. Uh, and, and actually we provide you even with, within the media, the, the, the media panel, we actually kind of, um, uh, hijack it to present a new tab that shows you even the, the various levels of, of BFXs that you've drilled into and all of their respective sources. So you're welcome to copy, drag stuff from other levels or from even your desktop reels, uh, if this is what you want to do. Um, and again, uh, have, the exact same workflow being mirrored inside of every BFX structure than the one that you would have at the very first level of the application. Yeah, I think for those of you who are familiar with it in the past, you could have, let's say, five BFX levels deep, and you go in, go in, go in, you're kind of lost about where you are. But one thing that's kind of nice about the uh, the media panel view is it's really easy at a glance to see where you are and as well as switch back and forth between the various levels. Yes. Uh, on top of that, also, I think we've we've added some 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 nice, you know. Uh, uh, so you talked about the, the the context views. I think there's uh, the relationship between the timeline tab and 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 the BFX or batch tab, for that matter, is 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 quite slick. We we have a we've implemented an implicit context, uh, which you know, if you press zero while while you're in the timeline, you will instantly, without having to set anything in the schematic. Um, uh, batch kind of keeps track uh, behind the scene of what the last selected node was and what the, the last selected clip node was. And you can instantly access them from the timeline player. Uh, so if you press zero and let's say the last, the last node that you uh, had selected in your schematic was an action node, uh, zero will instantly show you the result view of that action node without even having to uh, do the, you know, holding the hotkey and setting a context one and two. Uh, that's kind of done um, automatically for you, and um, also I think on 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 top of that, what we've uh, decided to also implement is let's say you're in main batch and uh, and you bring in a clip that actually is a BFX. Um, in previous versions, we would have forced you to navigate to the timeline to or explode the BFX to edit it, but at that point, it loses its clip structure. Um, what we've added also in the extension too is the ability just to select that uh, BFX clip in the batch schematic and kind of edit it in place without even having to navigate to the timeline. You just go into edit BFX, of course, providing it's an atomic segment because otherwise we won't let you do that. Um, but uh, uh, and and you'll be directly taken into the BFX level uh, to uh, to edit the setup. So it's it's a very direct connection. Uh, even if you're bringing sources into a, you know an existing batch setup that happened to have encapsulated BFXs, it's a very direct access to the content of that BFX without even having to navigate to the timeline. So you know it's it's a number of you know the, the workflow is 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 significantly more fluid than 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 it has been when we uh, we originally introduced. Um, uh, the anniversary release, and we also believe that at this point the recursive BFX is is actually better than 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 um, how it was before the anniversary release. But I think it goes hand in hand, though. And you know, as a as artists who 
want the latest tools and cool new creative tools and so forth. That's actually one aspect where the work that you've done under the hood with performance has actually really paid off uh, moving forward because if you didn't get that performance right, the interactive experience and working in multiple embedded BFX timelines could be pretty painful. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, you know the uh, the uh, the effort uh, to to invest into uh, well, you know what we call the flame reactor, which is essentially uh, you know promoting everything to uh, to a uh, a GPU pipeline and 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 actually have you know the timeline think in uh, in the same terms as as the batch flow graph is something that has been absolutely essential and instrumental in actually providing an experience that is um, you know comfortable and interactive uh, within the same environment. So, uh, you know, I think we really are workflow-wise in a much better place than than we were when we originally uh, released Anniversary uh, release for sure. Well, I mentioned creative tools, and uh, you've been kind enough to uh, record a bit of a demo video of sorts, I guess, an overview video, we'll call it, uh, yeah. and some new tracking features. Um, that's going to be embedded as part of the article in this podcast. So if you download this podcast via our, our RSS feed, what you need to go do is go to the site, go to the podcast tab, and find this podcast. And within the specific article pointing to this podcast, there'll be a video preview. But Philippe, why don't you just talk in brief uh, about the new tracking? Uh, it's effectively a new tracking workflow uh, and maybe even algorithm, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's actually it's both. Uh, it is it is both. So uh, uh, yeah, there's there's actually remarkable depth in uh, in the integration of not only new tracking algorithms that deliver you know something that has been requested for a very long time, which is you know uh, planar tracking uh, directly inside of Action, uh, but I think the way that we integrated it into the application also um, provides a um, um, uh, a great versatility in the way that uh, you can approach um, uh, uh, problems that require tracking uh, in the application, uh, and uh, and while still remaining, I hope you know at least analogous to what people know uh, with uh, with the uh, let's say the legacy stabilizer. So there uh, there there are a lot of let's say analogies that you can make with uh, with a workflow that you are familiar with in the context of the stabilizer uh, that have been kind of it, but directly at the action level uh, with new algorithms and, and yes, indeed, new workflows that come with it. So um, really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. I want to just talk maybe a bit about the future. And I know you can't address specifics, I guess, but um, w- what, what are you seeing as your biggest challenges in the type of things you need to add or revise in the software from your customers? I mean, what, what, are, what are the biggest things that you're hearing from people that you're working to address, just in, in general terms? Um, you know what? It really depends on, on, on who you talk to. We have a, you know, a, a very diverse uh, user base. And, uh, and you, know, you, you pointed out that in LA, we, we focused a lot, for example, on you know, pipeline-related type of, of functionality and integration that would not necessarily be the case in other uh, geos of the world. Um, and actually, if you if you were to go just to New York, for example, you'd you'd have a I guess a set of very different uh, conversations altogether. Um, and and I think it's also one of the great challenges that we have is 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 making sure we we pick the right things to uh, to work on. There is for sure for us um, you know uh, a huge amount of architectural work that has already been done and and is continuing under the hood that is absolutely required for us to um, 
to move forward. I think that it's it's important for for I mean our clip data model to evolve to support uh, uh, things you know much more easily like you know multi-channel data uh, and and I say that not necessarily just um, uh, you know in the context of CG pipelines I. I, I, I want to use the term multi-channel in a very generic sense. Uh, you know, media is, is is actually going to become or is becoming more and more multi-channel. Uh, that is, you know, a conjunction of very heterogeneous type of data that is packaged together to represent the same moment in time. Okay, that's mm-hmm. a mouthful. Uh, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's I think, a very generic definition of, of what multi-channel uh, is. And I think it's very important for Flame to, uh, to kind of be able to adjust to that reality. Um, uh, beyond uh, beyond that, I think that uh, for us, it's really, really critical to make sure that uh, uh, we also remain a very highly interactive uh, solution that responds to the artist uh, very, very quickly um, and, and allows you to actually iterate also creatively, um, not necessarily under the pressure of somebody who's watching over your shoulder, even though this is something that, you know, has historically made the fame of flame. But I do think that being able to iterate artistically, whether you have a customer behind your shoulder or not, is something uh, of a tremendous importance and makes a huge difference in the overall quality of the product that you can deliver at the end of the day. So, so um, making sure that actually Flame remains an extremely fast and interactive box is something that we consider uh, as a very important aspect of what Flame is. Um, and and beyond that, uh, yes, I think there's, you know, kind of exciting, cool stuff, I guess, <laughs> you know, that uh, uh, and and. I, you know, it's very, very, it's very, very dear to me. And, uh, uh, obviously if I think that's, you know, I, a lot of us, uh, as, as users or ex users were drawn to the box just because of that capacity to do stuff. Uh, and, um, and, and, and I think it's, it's really, really very important. I think, you know, we've, we haven't been discussing that this much in this particular podcast, but, uh, uh, because a lot of people have been pointing out, I mean, if you can't get the media in, then it stops there. You know? mm-hmm. right. <laughs> or if you can't get it out, then, you know, it's, we won't even bother. So, um, and, you know, the, the pipelineification of, so, I mean, those are like hot topics uh, today, but of course, um, it, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't distract us from us from, from, you know, trying to think about innovating way of, of actually dealing with the artistic problem. Uh, or artistic problems in general. And we think that the process is ultimately still going to be uh, somewhat timeline-centric. And when I say that, I don't mean that you have to be an editor. I mean that, you know, you tell stories, no matter how complex they are. They can be very short. They can be very long. It doesn't matter. And that there are types of decisions that can only be made in that context and should be made in that context. And whether it pertains to, um, you know, 3D and or 2D, it doesn't really matter. I think at the end of the day, it belongs there in a context that is story-centric. I think one thing, actually, having recently gone to Seagraph as well, um, is that keeping tabs on stuff that's coming down the pipe and image processing research, uh, research is really key. Now, while Flame doesn't have a big, even though it was introduced there, I think, at Seagraph years ago, doesn't mm-hmm. have a huge preference, but uh, you guys are very much on the pulse of image processing research and so forth, are you not? 
yes, we are absolutely. Yes, we. Uh, uh, you know, there's uh, there there are a few PhDs uh, in in the development team, and yes, they are uh, they're monitoring. Uh, and I think the efforts you know that we managed to deliver. Um, you know, of course, we may not. You know, it's not like we don't necessarily have the same background in terms of planar tracking as other competitors, such as Mocha, who have you know established themselves as really the go-to uh, application as far as planar tracking is concerned. But, but I think that, you know, what we've managed to uh, to deliver in uh, in a few months is actually uh, really amazing and, and speaks to the fact that, yes, we uh, we are in tune with what's happening and, and how to use it. And uh, and it's just a matter, unfortunately, with, ev- you know, with everything with software, it's a matter of setting your priorities right. And it's, and, um, and it's not always very easy. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, and I think you've heard me say this uh, a number of times also to users who say that, you know, you should release something where you just fix bugs. And, you know, I just want to say that I, it's no, it's like absolutely not. I don't think we should ever do a release like that. It's this is, you know, like the best way of frustrating everyone because there is no such thing as completely bug free software. So people are bound to come up with, you know, with problems. And I do think that it's very important for Flame at every single release to um, come up with, you know, new tools as something that kind of move the mark um, in, in terms of what you can do creatively or technically in, within the application. So, so yes, it's very, very dear to me. I know that at least from user perspective, and I'm sure your perspective, that a lot of development resources have been spent on under the hood architecture. And slowly over time, that seems to be going more into creative features and workflow enhancements and things like that. So where are you feeling? I know, you know, two years ago, you were probably feeling you spent, we're spending way too much time though needed on uh, pipe uh, under the hood architecture versus creative. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you feeling now? Um, uh, a lot better. First of all, because, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough period. You know, it's, uh, it's, it was something that's very, that was very daring, I guess, but it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful project also, uh, uh, to, to be able to, you know, refactor an application such as, which, such as flame, um, but I think at this point, uh, yeah, I feel very good. I think we, uh, we have, uh, resources that are dedicated to architectural work and are working underneath the hood, uh, because as I said, there's still a lot of stuff that needs to, uh, um, to, uh, to happen, uh, in flame. Uh, but it's not the totality of the, uh, of, uh, of the development forces that are, you know, dedicated to, um, to a specific, um, architectural goal. Um, you know, as we were literally kind of, forced to uh, in in the context of, of of anniversary release and and also its subsequent uh 2014 release um so i think we're in a much better place than 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 before uh i think that you know i i look at the way that we are staffing projects and there's uh you know I, I guess comfortable a comfortable percentage that is dedicated also to stuff that i would refer to as you know creative and um and at least innovating in terms of approach or philosophy, um, uh, not necessarily in terms of, of technology, but sometimes it's just as important. And so I, I, I like the fact that we're capable of, of staffing projects that, you know, would just think about stuff that is more on the creative side of things. Um, and uh, while at the same time, you know, moving the agenda and conform, which is not necessarily an architectural effort, but is, is still something that is absolutely essential uh, to 
actually all of our customers for that matter, no matter, you know, what, uh, what they do. Um, so, uh, um, so yeah, while maintaining again, as I said, like, uh, kind of like a, uh, a, uh, a force of development that is working in the code and, and making sure that, uh, um, when we want to expose a multi-channel structure, we're able to do so in a much better way than we have ever been. So, so I feel, you know, much better, uh, where we're at now about where we're at now than, um, than I have in the past two years. And this is an honest response. Well, that's, that's good to hear. And again, another solid uh, release and, and you can see some of the work, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, paying dividends and how you can bring new features and workflows to light. So I know you have, it's late in Montreal. So, Hey, I won't take up any more time. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, John. As I mentioned at the outset, uh, Philippe's going to be recording some preview videos or some sneak peek videos for us about new features in Flame, including an entirely new tracking workflow that we didn't even get a chance to talk about as part of the audio podcast. So be on the lookout for those. We'll be publishing those uh, as quick takes after Philippe gets back from IBC. also want to mention that on Tuesday, September 16th, is the, uh, there's another New York Flame Music Group meeting going on, so check that out. Uh, the second LA Flame Music Group is going to be happening at the end of October, and we'll be announcing a specific uh, date about that shortly. I uh, also want to give a shout out to the uh, Flame User uh, Flame Facebook page uh, called Flame Logic, L O G I K. If you're on Facebook, really suggest you check that out, do a search for it, ask to join. It's a private group, but there are a lot of great discussions about that. Personally, not a huge, huge fan of Facebook, but there's actually one really uh, good reason to be a member of Facebook so you can take part in the group. Really appreciate Drone setting that up uh, for the entire Flame community. Well, that's it for this FX podcast. For my partners, Mike Seymour and Jeff Huser, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.